Coming up, writer and director Ken Finkelman goes long about his new film, An American Dream. Then we open up the vault. Guess who jumps out? John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten. Thank you, ex-manager. Miss you, you're dead, but you're a cunt when you're alive. If I'm just walking by you and you happen to catch catch me in your field of vision, don't ask me a question. <laughs> because, because you didn't have to ask that question. If I wasn't walking through your field of vision, you right. wouldn't have asked the question. It takes about two years, to three to four, to sometimes a decade, before people understand what it is I'm doing. One meal on wheels could have done so much more for the country than airplane too. You come to grips with the fact that you truly are hunchback. I would say to the crew, guys, Bring the coat closer to where we're shooting, okay? Where the setup is, so that you don't have to walk five minutes and go and get it and then, you know, and, and, and have your blow and then come back to the set and then go back to the coke and then back to the set. Bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Whoops, Johnny made a little swear off the top there. Sorry about that. He is a filthy bugger. And you know what? There's more of that to come. So if you're one of those rock and roll types that like listening to your podcast really loud at your office desk, you might want to turn it down a little bit or maybe plug in some headphones. A little bit later on in the show, Ken Finkelman is going to be here. You know him. You love him. Writer, director. He made Airplane 2, The Newsroom, wrote Who's That Girl from Madonna. We talk about all that stuff. He's got very funny stories. Got a new movie in theaters right now called An American Dream Hang Tight. We're going to get to that in a second. The aforementioned John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, will also be here. We had to search the vault for that one. But something happened earlier this week that kind of put me in the mind of Johnny Rotten, of people that have been famous for a long time and kind of rode the wave, you know, over time. I was at the Eaton Center. For those of you who are not familiar with the House of Krauss and its surroundings, the Eden Center is the Cathedral of Commerce. It's the biggest shopping mall right downtown. It's right at Young and Queen, one of the busiest intersections in the country. It is filled with thousands of people coming and going. Some look up and they take in the breathtaking beauty of Michael Snow's sculpture of a flock of geese flying off, looking like they're going to fly right into the Hudson's Bay building that's next door, but it's a beautiful sculpture, hung there since the 1970s. You go there to buy shoes, to buy new spring fashions, to sip lattes from the one of probably 10 dozen Starbucks that seem to be in that place. It's a very, very busy mall. I had to buy some runners. I went to buy some shoes. I go down and I hear a scream as I'm getting closer to the store that I want to go to. Now, in these kind of highly charged times that we live in, in this era, you never know exactly what a scream in public means anymore. So I was drawn to it. I went over to see what was going on. Was someone in trouble? Was something terrible happening? Was it a scream of joy? Was it a bunch of teenagers goofing around? What was it? Well, it turns out that the store that I wanted to go into, the Foot Locker, was surrounded by people. They've all got their cameras up, they're taking pictures, they're taking video. I can't really see what's going on. The store looks empty to me. And I ask around a little bit, I start to hear rumblings of Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber is inside, so he apparently had been shopping in the mall. He made it down to this Foot Locker store, went inside to avoid something uh, happening, him getting overrun by fans. They decided to shut the door and just let him do some private shopping. He wasn't in there for very long. And then what I imagine happened is that someone noticed that the store was 
closed when it should have been open. They looked in and thought, my God, that's Justin Bieber. They stopped, they held up a camera. Someone else came by. Soon there's 10 people standing there going, what's going on? The next 10 people that come by see the first 10 people standing there and they think, what's going on? Let's join in. Now there's 20 people there. The next 20 people come and they see the, the first 20 people and they say, my God, what's happening? And the crowd gets bigger, then there's 40, then the next 40 people come, and so on and so on and so on. So you get quite a few people here, and there was a, a sort of playful mood in the, in the crowd. People were talking about Justin Bieber, saying, oh, I used to be a fan. I used to love Justin Bieber when I was little, that kind of thing. But they were still kind of tickled to see him inside buying sneakers. So it got me to think about what it must be like to have every moment of your life scrutinized like this. John Rotten, John Lydon, has been famous for a very long time, but Justin Bieber had a different kind of fame. Justin Bieber had the kind of fame where you couldn't leave the house unless you had a bunch of bodyguards. I know John Lydon used to get beaten up a little bit, don't write me letters about the Sex Pistols in the early days, I know all about it. This is a different feel. His kind of fame was bigger, more intense, and destined to flame out a little faster. Now, he's still very popular, he still sells records, but I wonder if he's a little bit relieved somehow. You know, you always think, oh, you gotta reach for this brass ring, gotta be as popular, as big, as huge as we can possibly get. But then, when it happens, and your life is flipped upside down, turned around, inside out, and backwards completely, and it's rarefied air. There's not that many people that, that have that kind of fame. There's not that many people who will ever have that kind of fame. And when it happens to you, I wonder if later on, when 40 or 50 people stand in front of a footlocker instead of 4,000 or 6,000 people stand in front of a footlocker while you're trying to buy some shoes, I wonder if it's, if it's kind of a relief, if it signals a change back to some kind of normal life. Whatever it is, all I know is that quite a few people, more people than have ever watched me shop before, came and stood in front of a store, an empty store save for some sales clerks and a pop star, and watched Justin Bieber buy shoes. I guess there's no real moral to the story other than he bought a bunch of shoes and someone in the store later on told me that he wasn't as buff as they thought he would be, that he looked like a regular guy. And maybe, you know, Maybe that's what Justin Bieber wants to be, just a regular guy who can buy shoes at Foot Locker. I would guess John Lydon doesn't spend a lot of time shopping at Foot Locker, but I don't know. I've never really noticed his shoes. I do know that in his book, Rotten, No Irish, No Blacks, No Dogs, he talks about being a kid and how they kind of preferred not to wear shoes at all. He says it was quite common for most kids to have no shoes. We thought shoes were uncomfortable, particularly for my other brothers, because they had to wear what I was finished with. I would always be the one told off if I scuffed my shoes because, quote, it's got to be handed down, so it was easier to run around barefoot. Maybe the next time I speak with him, I'll ask him about his shoes and the possibility of shopping at Foot Locker. Right now, though, we want to talk about The Sons of Norway. This is a movie that asks the question, how is it possible to rebel when your free spirit father supports you unconditionally? He plays kind of the spirit of punk rock in this film. It's a lovely 1970s set period piece. It's a Scandinavian drama. It's got a sex pistol in it. 
Uh, it's a really cool little movie. If you can find it, it's a rough one to find. If you can find it, it's worth a look. To whet your appetite for Sons of Norway, here's my conversation with John Lydon. Congratulations on the film. Uh, in what way? Well, in what way? Well, listen, anytime a movie... Have you seen it? Yeah, I have seen it, yeah. It's all right, isn't it? It is good, you know? So I made the right decision. Mm -hmm. You see, this came across because um, the script was was sent to us and then asked, would we want to, like, you know, have a say or partake in it in any way, shape or form? Oh, my gosh, yes. And, I mean, you know offers come in all the time. People want to use my name for this, that or the other. But this is a little bit extra special. Uh... And, and the hard work of, of, of putting it all together and, and contributing to it has paid off, I think, wonderfully. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what really grabbed me about it. I was uh, 14 or 15 years old in 1977, and uh, the music was the thing that got me through. The, the, the music that started coming out, like your music yeah. in, in those days, was the sound that I heard in my head, yeah. but nobody else was making records like that. And then yeah. I started to hear it, and it changed my life. Well, you weren't the only one. Yeah. No, <laughs> this exactly. is what occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And, and so I wonder if that's but we, we had a, we, we, we gave ourselves a musical background to, to change the world around us as, yeah. as we've seen it. And we knew that we could alter things. Um, in, in the years that have come since, uh, the media has found a way of poisoning all of that, that original sense of fun and that, that hope for a future. I mean, songs like God Save the Queen, you know, the refrain, no future. That's an ironic statement. But if you put that in the hands of a journalist who writes for the music papers, that was taken quite literally. Well, see, and, I, I, and, you know, but uh, we change things. And, and this is the voice of rebellion from a, a Norwegian kid's point of view in, in the 78 period. Wonderful. We see, punk meant a lot of things to a lot of people. I don't think any of us realised that at the time quite, how yeah. widespread all of that was. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, you must have known, you know, in your circle, obviously, you're like... Well, there's clues. Yeah, you know, this is making a difference. But, you know, the, the history of the band was a little tumultuous. You know, things were, things were going on that I think that maybe took away from the experience for you. Is that true? Or no? Yes and no, but... You've got to bear in mind that real life is tumultuous, and, and so why shouldn't your band be? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a natural reflection of, of the world you live in. Um, and the lies that adults tell their children, um, and how they, they try to co-opt you into a society that leaves no hope for you. And indeed, you brought up as a member of the disenfranchised, that, that's still in my heart. Um, the age of innocence, really, for all of us, and uh, those that are really smart about it have never lost that innocence, that hope, that yeah. sense of hope. I don't want to get co-opted into what we now call society, the shitstorm. It doesn't work for me. Right. It doesn't work for the kid in this film. It didn't work for you. Yeah. Well, do you think, had you not uh, stood by that jukebox and saying, I'm 18 and auditioned, that we'd be sitting here today? Or would you have found another way well, to do all this? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know. But it, what if pigs could fly? They'd be pork in the treetops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what... I, I, I was smart enough to see there was a way out here. Yeah. And uh, smart enough to be able to write songs, uh, you know, that really were the backbone mm -hmm. of my way out. It, it, I wasn't getting co-opted into a into a pop music shitstorm that I didn't want nothing to do with. I didn't write trivial nonsense songs. Yeah. Um, 
I love music. I always have bought it. And I've always been interested in it, but I wasn't copying anyone. This is my own expression. Right. The songs are genuine, and, and it's nice to see that they meant the same to other people. Well, and then, but for the grace of God, it could have been that the young kid portrayed in this film that wrote those songs. I'd still be backing them, right. one way or the other. Yeah. So, say, you know, hello, I'm Mr Rotten here, but yeah. I'm not Mr Rotten the superstar, I'm Mr Rotten the human being that does care about his fellow human beings and expects others to care for me equally. Well, so if you disrespect me, I will disrespect you back. Right, right. Well, I, I, do you have a sense, though, and you must, I guess, but do you have a sense how much those songs meant to people and how much the anti-establishment uh, point of view that you personified for so long, and still do, but uh, meant to people? I mean, when I heard those songs come crashing through on the soundtrack of Sons of Norway, it, it still blows my hair back. Well, not really, but it still, you know, because it's, blow, it's can, glued down very tightly. You can but, explain it somehow. <laughs> but it, 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 <laughs> but, but it, it really, it, it, they, they still mean so much to me. Oh, well, then, still... I'm really, then I'm really pleased that it works that way, yeah. because um, there was a lot of discussion about using songs. Uh, of course, um, you know, uh, certain people wanted to use more songs than right. that. But um, it was tapering it off so that they'd be the most poignant, the least used. Right. Right. But um, they, they have a point and a purpose, each song in, in its place. And I think it sums up an atmosphere really wonderfully and accurately. Mm -hmm. I love when and, you know, it's the true story of punk, really. Yeah. Which uh, up until now, I don't think any of the films made have ever portrayed. Well, and that, absolute, and right? that absolutely includes the rock and roll swindle, which is the biggest phony bollocks of all time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, ex-manager. Miss you, you're dead, but you're a cunt when you were alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that movie. I mean, for me, as a as a young guy who was never going to be able to see the Sex Pistols, uh, meant something to me. That movie did because it, it it was it was something I could grab onto. I could see. Yeah, but it in the, the, theater. In the joy though that we were all Sex and we all yeah. still are, really. Yeah. 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 I know. <laughs> Don't lose your age of innocence. Yeah, yeah. Well, adolescence is is a troubled, difficult time at best. And I think one of the things that this movie does so well, and the thing that, for me, really grabbed me about the movie, is its universality. You know, it, this, this happens to be set in Norway, but it could have been set in Liverpool, Nova Scotia, where I grew up, yeah. or it could have been set in, you know, where you grew up, in, in yeah. London. It could have been set in any part of the world, because uh, adolescence is the same wherever you are. You know, that age is the same, and the need to rebel and, and get through it is the same. Yep. I think. And wasn't, wasn't a, a process formed out of intellectualism, mm -hmm. uh, but instinct, which is... Uh, best form of intellectuality actually yeah yeah and you're still bring on the riots <laughs> well you're still i mean public image limited has a new record coming out which you're working on right now i think you just I finished it yeah. yep uh, literally four days ago yeah. 12 songs and they're the money yeah yeah can you tell me anything about it, or is it, should I just... Uh... I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in a proper pill vein, but it yeah. doesn't sound like anything pill have ever done, right. and yet you know it is. And anybody who's been uh, following uh, our recent two-year solid tour, mm -hmm. um, and that's a lot of people, will truly, truly understand that like, we, we've, we've 
done a great honour to them. Right. All right. We haven't we haven't made a commercial cop out, and we haven't made an imitation of ourselves. This is a as public image must always be a progression of thought. Right. And I think it was uh, difficult in the early years. Uh, because the, the music was incredible. The first couple of public image records, uh, public image limited records, were incredible. But I think people were just so expecting uh, more of the same from you that when you came in, you well, grew as an artist. Yeah, and you yeah. changed. I understand, but the yeah. bigger truth is this: the first two albums were like treated with the utmost uh, suspicion right. because they were so different. Because people were demanding a Sex Pistols mm -hmm. sound. And when they got used to that sound, they weren't prepared to advance to the next stage of Pill, and therefore judgmental. And it's been like that, really, all through my life. It takes about two years to three to four to sometimes a decade before people understand what it is I'm doing. Um, I experiment in all things, but basically, and you're a fool not to realise this, pop music is my instinctive roots in all things. Right. The Sex Pistols are pop music. Mm -hmm. Never forget it. Loud, great, amazing guitar pop music. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think I'm going to dismantle that, you got another thing coming. <laughs> Until you hear the new album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when will we hear it? Soon. We're hoping March. Yeah. But I'm not really here to promote that. No, you know, I just wanted to, you know. I just wanted to. Uh, we'll talk about. Something. But I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's talk about uh, your acting in this. I saw uh, a Norwegian. It's not acting. It's cameo, really. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and forgive me, I'm not the greatest cameo merchant in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was freezing cold that night. Yeah. And they they warned me that because it was filmed in Norway uh, out in a blizzard, full on snow, and Norway can be pretty cold. But they wore me to wear thermals and I wouldn't. And I went out and my nipples froze. Right. And, it's, cool. and, and then ah, the, the teeth start chattering. And then finally I gave in to the thermals. Then I could get a couple of lines out. But it, it's a very interesting, good little scene because there is this young man looking out at the city and he's trying to make sense of it. And Mr. Rotten's standing there telling him what he thinks of it. And hopefully those words are poignant. I think so. And mean something. In a weird way, that's me talking to myself. Well, see, I was going to ask you about that, because I wonder, uh, did you, I mean, again, I don't want to dredge up the past too much, but, you know, you didn't, it didn't seem like you had, I've read your book, and I've, I've read a, a great deal about the band, it didn't seem like you had anyone that was giving that kind of guidance to you back in, in those days, in those early sort of formative years. Is, is that a, a fair... Assessment? Yeah, but I had a lot of people telling me not to do what I was doing, which oddly enough was the greatest guidance ever. Because <laughs> it made you want to go the other way, right? Yeah, but I, I've, I am an individual. I always have been. And there are many reasons for that. Belligerence not being one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to find myself. I, I don't want to go on about this or, or be, be a sad sack, but... Um, when I had meningitis and I was seven, I, I lost my memory, which didn't come back to me for some four years. So I really didn't know who I was, who my parents were, who anything was. So I had to learn to trust complete strangers and rely on their word. This is why I can't tolerate liars to this present day. But that trust and that, and that belief, and then when, when I realised that certain people were not lying to me, so I loved the human race from there on in. And... 
knew who I really, really, really was at that point. And so out of a terrible illness, you know, and almost a fatal tragedy, really, because very few come out of a coma, uh, I think I did well. So, you know, thank you, God, you know. Yeah. You gave me a real gift there. Yeah. Uh, a chance to uh, analyse myself and find out who I really, really was. And that's what that young boy is doing on that balcony. Well, and, and I wonder, uh, having seen the film, you pop up uh, vintage uh, contemporary footage of the time, pops up on television screens throughout. We see, it, we see it a few times in the film. When you see that, is there still self-reflection that goes along with that? Do you, do you look at that and still try and... In a, in a light-hearted kind of way. Yeah. I don't analyse myself in that way, but I'll go, oh my God, look at the septic spot on the end of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they film me that badly? <laughs> I'm sure I must have been handsome once. <laughs> you know, yeah. all of those sillinesses that we have as human beings. Yeah. The way we overjudge ourselves. Yeah. I'm a human. Yeah. Do you think that the image that you have of yourself, we've not met before, and, and I... I oh, no, no, I, I get a great answer for you here okay. once, uh, Madame Two Swords at the Rock Circus, right. they, they asked to make waxworks of me, and yeah. uh, so, you know, you have to stand there for four hours while they slowly move you around and take photos, and then they make the waxwork doll. Now, the idea I had of myself was absolutely nothing at all. Uh, when I walked around this waxwork doll of me, which is apparently uh, identical, that was an odd thing. It's something I recommend that everybody have done. I know it's too expensive, but, you know, just get your mum to buy some of those, you know, those scent candles that are in every street corner <laughs> and do something similar so you can go this is what you like it's was, intriguing to walk around and see yourself in that in that way yeah was it humbling or was it what what was it well you know you, you, you come to grips with the fact that you truly are a hunchback and that's of course back to meningitis because yeah, of yeah. you know all the operations and things on my spine that went wrong but all these other things, and you look at your shoe size, and you go, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And the way you hold yourself physically. And how, you know, how like Richard III I really am. <laughs> we'll get you a horse. Without your kingdom. <laughs> I don't want no horse. John, it has Jeez. been a real pleasure to meet you. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. All the best. Listen, I'll tell you, this this movie, uh, I think the, the thing that I, because uh, it's not about me, the thing, my mom died around the same age as the little boy in the movie, uh -huh. and this movie rang so true to me. Good. Uh, the music and the whole thing, I think uh, the the language difference notwithstanding, this was a story yeah. that I think a lot of people are going to relate I think, to. I think we're doing something really, really good here, and I knew that right from the start. You know, there's no money to be made yeah, in yeah. it, but... The social commentary is excellent. Yeah, yeah. No, now, speaking of social commentary, Ken Finkelman's An American Dream is in theaters right now. 
you know Ken Finkelman from producing, from writing and starring in the Emmy Award winning series The Newsroom. He's produced a whack load of television. He wrote the screenplays for Who's That Girl with Madonna and Grease 2. Uh, he both wrote and directed Airplane 2, the sequel, and we get to that a little bit later on in the interview, and you want to stick around for that story. Uh, he has a novel called Noah's Turn. His new film, Cast the Net, to include everything from gun-toting evangelicals and reality TV stars to government paranoia and corporate shenanigans. Ken Fickleman is an interesting dude. He is someone who is unafraid. He is someone who fearlessly wades into the mire and then puts it all up on the screen. The film An American Dream is in theaters right now. And here we are talking about that film, some other films, a little bit of this and that. Kind of, you know, in this conversation, we kind of talked about everything. Sit back and enjoy Ken Finkelman. You started working on this after spending weeks, months, I don't know, watching CNN for 10 hours a day. Is that accurate? Um, well, no, I, did, I didn't watch it for 10 hours a day. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't set out to say, okay, I'm going to do this uh, movie and, and, there, and uh, to prepare for this uh, script, I'm going to watch CNN. Right. It was the other way around. I just watched CNN. Yeah. And 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 um and I watch uh, I, I I watch Wolf Blitzer and 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 and, and um, do I like Wolf Blitzer? No, it's, it's, it's for, for any number of reasons he is a, a, a lot uh, to do with what's uh, bad about about uh, journalism. And, and why do you say that? Because my my thing with him would be that there's so much conjecture. It's not journalism anymore. It's like this may have happened, and I'm going to talk about it for the next hour. And yeah, it, it, that's that's I I love that. That, that that that's that's exactly it. There's there's two different ways for them to introduce their hour. Mm -hmm. One is breaking news, yeah. or uh, and then the uh, the softer one is if if like if like buildings haven't come down and thousands of people haven't died, it is um, it is uh, happening now. Yeah. That's right. So and now <laughs> they they get a little lazy and they they sometimes do happening now breaking news. <laughs> so they kind of throw everything in. Excuse me, I'm just getting over a cold. Yeah. <clears throat> they throw everything in, and to really hype it and 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 get you going, and 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 um, and I, I kind of like watching um, uh, the people, the analysts, the personalities they're on, and and as well as Wolf Blitzer. And 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 kind of enjoy watching how they put the world in in in, in focus, right. and and their particular kind of focus, and um, you, you know I mean I do have some favorite you know uh, uh, wolf uh, stories that 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 you know really happened during the time that Trump was 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 gearing up was right. running was was running his campaign, in which they really enabled you know his his presence. Um, uh, and, and and his candidacy, rather, um, but uh, but a real Wolf Blitzer junkie is this: he comes on at five, you watch five to six, and then you watch the same show six <laughs> to seven, and then and then just if if you haven't had enough, you 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 watch Aaron Burnett sort of sort of take. All those two hours and kind of compress them down into something else that is 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 pretty much the same, but it's a little shorter. And then by that time, you um, you understand uh, the world. No, you understand how CNN sees the world. And how did that then work into an American dream? 
Um, well, it, it's it's the um, uh, what's 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 interesting about any 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 news shows, and this has been going on for you know a long long yeah. long time, as as, as as long as I can remember being a kid watching Walter Cronkite on CBS. Um, I remember you know s smoking pot uh, with at my with my girlfriend uh, at the time, uh, and 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 we're in our parents' house. And and uh, and we're watching CBS News, and I guess her parents were out. That's why, or we had smoke pot. I, I stone, <laughs> and 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 Walter Cronkite uh, uh, finishes the news by saying, um, "And that's the way it is on you know June sixth, nineteen, you know something." Uh, and and I and I said to her in this kind of stone say, "That's the way it is there. <laughs> that's not the way it is here." Here, I'm. I can't see straight. You know, yeah. I. I don't. You know, I'm. You know, voices are vibrating. I. I said he didn't mention that. You know, so so uh, it, it. It all started back then. Is is that 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 what they did is that they they structured the day mm -hmm. through a half hour of news, uh, which gave you a picture of how these they wanted America to be. They started with the big story. That, that is uh, you usually on not in those days because they had less film but but you know now of course with uh, with 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 uh, uh, with video video and I mean we don't even know what to call it anymore. Digital media used to call, of some sort. Used to yeah. call it film, and yeah. then you started calling it tape, and yeah. and now it's 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 something else, and and it's some kind of subatomic atomic. Yeah. A, a particle like a, of a, some kind, a haiku of pixels and yeah, yeah, and yeah, 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 bites. yeah, yeah, and 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 um, and 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 so so they they structure the day. So they, you go to then then a, a less dramatic story that might have to do with a little something you might have to think about, mm -hmm. like the economy, and then and 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 then it, it just keeps going like this. And then they do human interest stories where it's, it's something horrible has happened to somebody, and then they do the human interest story at the very end, which is something good that has yeah. happened to somebody. So that they by the end of the news, they they can kind of sit back. That guy Scott Pelley sits back on CBS News, and he kind of he he. He leans on his elbow, on, on uh, either his left or right elbow, uh, as if he has seen something that is really kind of an eye opener, you know. <laughs> and he goes, hmm. and that's the way it is today, you know. That that sort of, and and it's and it's generally something, you know, wonderful, yeah. you know. And 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 uh, and and it's 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 like a, a guy getting. Completely beaten to so by the cops, so that every bone in his body is broken. But the story is how this guy came back by with using physiotherapy right. to bring himself back. You know, and and we forgot. Oh wait, wait! I didn't didn't you say that the cops had broken every bone in his body? No, no, but that's that's the dark side of the story. We're looking at the at the human interest side of the story now, which is that the guy did all this physio and and all his bones are healed. And he's got a new job, and it's, everything is fantastic in the world. So has all that? I mean, that spin has yeah. that? Is that what has led to all the the belief in fake news and facts don't matter anymore? Because if you can spin that story, yes. every bone yes. broken yes. into yes. Yeah, a yes. feel good story. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the I remember the, the the spin when it when it even started bleeding into Canada was was uh, and 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 I, one of the eye openers for me was. The, the the last story that they did on the plane that went down off of off of Peggy's Cove. Right. Um, remember there was like I think yep. there was like 
500 people in the plane. You know, a plane only held 250. Why were there 500? No, there, there were 500 people in the plane. And, 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 and they, they, they finished the story at the end of the news with, uh, with Peter Mansbridge with a, a guy playing, uh, and the rocks at Peggy's Cove are absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Ever, ever been there? Yeah, I yeah. have. Yeah. So, so there's a guy standing on the rocks playing a saxophone. And they're filming him playing this 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 uh, this this elegy, right? And 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 so the music is 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 about you know death and and it's and 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 the scene is 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 is, is idyllic and 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 um, and and you're wondering, wait a second, they kind of put those elements together. That's not. The real world, like that's not news. the news, yeah. yeah. And then there was another one. My favorite of all time was that it's not the news. Was um, the 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 Murtaugh building, the the FBI building, where 169 people were killed by the bomb by right. by Timothy McVeigh, and and they put up a wire fence around the the whole building after it was blown up, and and like a week after story after story after story after story at the end of the week, they they showed this picture of a little girl. She could have been about. Eight years old, wearing a little dress, carrying uh, a bouquet of flowers and b- putting them beside the wire fence, but it was in slow motion. And I thought, wait a second, this is the news. Yeah. I said, the world doesn't work. You can't just turn the world into slow motion just to make it look better. That that's I, if we could do that, that would be great. I'll I'll see you later. Yeah. As I kind of go down the street <laughs> in slow motion. Well, he's walking in slow motion. He must really be, you know, on his game and really at one with the with the world and the universe. Because how else could you walk in slow motion? You know. Yeah, it's an artistic choice, and, not, and, not and, a journalistic choice. No, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a way. It's it's a choice of of of, of how you in, in, interpret the. Uh, the world, and I, I, I choose to interpret the world with, you know, slow motion and sepia colors, and <laughs> I, I add a lot of stuff in post production. Production, I, I, I post produce my day. By the way, at the end of every day, yeah. I go into post production on my day, and I just pull it all together, add music, yep. use slow motion, take and stuff out like the that. bad bits, you take, know, take out the stuff, and that's why I generally I live a longer day than most people because I know that part of my day is going to end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> So you need like 26, 27 yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to put so in a full day. Good to get a good day. Yeah, to get well, a good day. And that, that's that's why I'm tired. So tired at the end of the day. Well, they say film is just real life with all the boring bits cut out. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> Ken Finkelman is my guest. The movie is called An American Dream. It's in theaters right now. Uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about... Um, the story, which is kind of inspired by um, a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, this this movie to me, the sensibility of this movie to me felt kind of English. It felt like, um, you know, if. It felt like uh, I, I could see Malcolm McDowell well, playing. Well, of course, so could I. Yeah, this the is what character. inspired it all, you know. Yeah, Lindsay so, Anderson and, and, and Oh Lucky Man and, yeah. and If. And, Sporting and, Life, and, probably. And, yeah. and, and uh, no, no, but but definitely, definitely Oh Lucky Man and, and those, those kind of... of, of uh, those kind of road movies, you know, that um, were, were the inspiration for it. And, and 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 Malcolm McDowell, who I have to sort of say right now, was the inspiration for that movie. He got had creative credit for that movie. He also had creative credit. He he also like now now I'm going to get called by movie buffs on this. Okay. So I think he got some kind of creative credit on. Doctor Strange Love, uh, not Doctor Strange Love. What am I talking on about? Clockwork Orange. On Clockwork Orange. Now, did he or not? Like, 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 like Kubrick is not the kind of guy to give up to credit. To easily give up credit. 
So I want to get down uh, to the movie. An American Dream is a road picture. Uh, it is the story of uh, of a young man who seemed to have his life mapped out in front of him. He was going to be probably the college football star. Probably things were going to to progress in a in a certain sort of path for him uh, that way. And then he gets a concussion and has to leave the game. And then he hits the road. Works for a big financial firm. Uh, works with evangelicals. Works on reality television. I mean, it just it, it, it's it is. Uh, a, a series of, of events, and that's the great thing about road movies, is that around every turn, there's a new character, there's a new situation. Uh, the road movie, I think, is one of the great Canadian forms, uh, also American too, but I like going down the road. I think uh, uh, Highway 61, Bruce McDonald's revisited road movies over and over again. Uh, what is it about the form that appeals to you? Well, um, I'm not sure that this is a uh, well. I, I guess it. I guess it is in one form. You know, a, a road movie. I was. I was thinking of um, Easy Rider. Yeah. You know, and and um, and when you think back, there, there's not a lot that happened in that movie. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm not even sure that that movie will hold up today. When was the last time you saw it? I, it, I, it's been years since I've seen yeah. it, and I think you're probably right. I yeah. think it was sort of of its time. I mean, Jack Nicholson. That we were introduced to him for the first time there. Absolutely, and was, at the end, the end of the movie I think is still pretty yeah. effective. But yeah. there's bits in there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the 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 idea of the road movie, I guess, comes from historically uh, comes from this. Ter well, well, the the term picaresque is used because right. it's 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 separate little stories that are um, uh, that that a person, the protagonist, experiences, and this would have. Probably started with Candide, yeah, and and Candide's the story of this uh, character uh, who gets, uh, I, I think his family is wiped out or whatever, and he's thrown out into the world in France, and so um, uh, uh, he, it, it's it's a satire of all of the the sort of the French you know institutions yeah. of the day that he runs into, so he 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 kind of stumbles across the landscape. And, 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 and it's a satirical look at all these institutions in France at the time. Um, the uh, uh, O Lucky Man, uh, which was Lindsay Anderson picture, was, I can't remember the date on that. That Was that in the 70s? No, I think, uh, I, I'll look it up, but I think it was probably 68, maybe oh, really? 69, okay. something yeah. like that. And th that also is a, um, uh, 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 is, is, is in part uh, that kind of, um, that kind of picture. Um, mm -hmm. Then there were other ones. Uh, Preston Sturgis made, you know, the great McGinty, and 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 I, I I never thought that that was a great one. I I didn't I wasn't a great fan of that picture. I mean, Preston Sturgis made mm -hmm. a, a couple of great movies. One was uh, Miracle in Morgan's Creek, yeah, which yeah. was like yeah. like if you want to know how to make a movie where people talk fast and <laughs> and things happen quickly, and the morality of the picture is really stunning because the the protagonist and the and 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 the innocent girl have sex. Yeah. And for a movie made in the forties, that's probably uh, wow. Wow. And, you know, and 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 um, uh, so so yeah. So these so when you look at at, at the news like uh, the way that I do obsessively. And 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 I do go beyond the news. I, I 
I have to admit that I'm uh, uh, that I do read um, stuff that that is that is uh, uh, has more 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 insight and and, right. and 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 more journalistic integrity than than CNN, such as um, the New York Review of Books or the New Yorker or or or, or and there's lots of good writers on mm-hmm. on Huffington Post and there's good writers and I subscribe to the New York Times online and stuff like that. So so you 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 get you you uh, so 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 you, I, I'm I'm a I'm a news fan through through a lot of platforms. Right. I'll use yes, the word yeah, platforms. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. And 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 um and so you when you're you're seeing it all day long and you're listening to the lies and the and the and, and the bullshit and the and 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 the the the, the flag waving the 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 that everything that the news institutions do is 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 try to maintain the the the, the myth of the great of the America America is as being great and the American way of life and 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 they're trying to tell that story every day no matter what happens no matter what kind of slaughter we go through and so so eventually you start thinking well maybe slaughter is the is is uh, you know uh, um, is the uh, um, is 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 par for the course right. you know maybe that's like like um, I, I do watch golf you know so maybe, <laughs> maybe you know so maybe the 16th hole is where the guy pulls out a machine gun and 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 kills nine people right. you know and 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 um, and on the 17th hole um, uh, he's caught, and in the 18th hole, um, uh, you know, he's 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 working in the prison, uh, doing uh, Meals on Wheels for other <laughs> prisoners who are suffering from cancer. Right. You know, and 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 you know that that's that's and they, and they always organize it in that way. You know, the, the the news. So so I thought that 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 doing this using this method of this road method, this picaresque method, is a good way to satirize. Um, what's what? It, what is uh, your, my impression of what's going on in America? Now we've only got two minutes left in this segment. Uh, I'm going to start this, and I may have to just yeah, lead yeah. this into the next one. How is it possible then to satirize a place that, on the news anyway, seems almost like it's fallen into self-parody? Well, that's a, that's a, a, a big big uh, you know issue. Um, uh, you. Um, it's it's not as it's not as fun and not as easy uh, anymore, and and everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when you watch Stephen Colbert's uh, you know uh, um, uh, monologue every night, uh, you know he's doing it, and then there there's the Daily Show, and then there's the um, and then there's Bill Maher, and I like I like all those yeah. those, those those shows, and and they they are really um, you know. I mean, everyone is really feeding at the trough now, and 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 there was a time in which that didn't happen, and that's uh, I have to say that's when I did the newsroom, and the, yeah. and I, really what I was looking at then was 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 how kind of how 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 uh, the how, how deeply controlled the the what they called reality was. In, in the mainstream news, which right. was even at that time was Peter Mansbridge in Canada, which would be thought of, thought of as as being, you know, um, uh, you know, not not an exploitive form yeah. of, of, of of news broadcast, but you know, very, but at the same time, they they're giving you. You know their view of what of well, what the world is. At, at the same time, they've got a saxophone player standing on Peggy's coat yes, playing yes. an elegy for no. the people that crashed. <laughs> I think that that uh, the, the the news has always, uh, you know, uh, been right on the edge of that of that self parody. Right. Uh, but you you, you it, it really became obvious with Fox News and and with CNN too, 
Um, but but if you go further back and you just keep your eyes open and your ears, you know, you know, in, tuned in, you're going to hear the the, the self parody sort of the 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 rumblings of it, at, right. you know, going on. And this was earlier. This was in the. Uh, in the in the nineties and right. the mid nineties, well, I remember when I you know did the newsroom and yeah. stuff like that, and 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 I re- remember that I was I was on um, the Gene Gameshi radio show, and and uh, to promote a show I was doing, and in that week he had had some person on talking about the the um, 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 uh, there was a. Um, there, there was a big demonstration. Oh, the police funeral! Right. Remember that police, the the guy that got in that 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 front end loader, that right. or that right. snowplow, yeah. and killed a cop. Yeah. Lo and behold, thousands of cops from across Canada, across the United States, come and go on parade. Okay, and 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 so so you wonder. Wait a second. Why? Why are they going on parade? Here's a guy's killed. It's killed in the line of duty. I said people get construction guys get killed in the line of duty. Look at the nurses that died in the line of duty during the SARS epidemic. They didn't have nurses coming from around the world. Mm-hmm. Who paid for them to come? You know. You know the, what taxpayers right. paid for. And what was it a demonstration of? All these cops in uniform. It was a demonstration of we're the cops and you're not going to fuck with us. Yeah. You know. And 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 the 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 uh, the CBC went to cover the funeral and i realized what the funeral was it was it was payback for g uh, for the g20 for the way that the right. cops were trashed in the media for the way that they handled the demonstrators right the and and on the cops that. really had it in for the media on that so what the cops are going to do is now is they're going to get back and they're going to show how Every cop is, stands together, and how great we are, and we can right. put millions of guys in uniform, put them on the street, and 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 they're all spit and polished, and they're fantastic. And 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 I said to Gian Gameshi, I said, you, I just want to say that you were on this show with uh, you had this person on, and they and 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 um, and they talked about the funeral, and they didn't mention the fact that it was it was all bullshit, and and. And and so I got in a fight with him. He said, "You're supposed to." He said, "I thought you were here to promote your movie, uh, 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 or your TV show, or whatever it was." I said, "I am. I'm promoting it." You know, <laughs> I, I, I I said, "You know, I'm." And I, so I started to kind of go after him. I kind right. of attacking him for certain things. And and he said, "Well, how are you?" I said, "I'm promoting it." People are listening to a personality. They're saying, "Hey, you know, who is that guy? Yeah. How does he think? Maybe I'll watch his TV show." I said, "It's all part of the act." Right. You know, but but I got into a big fight with him. And 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 I sensed uh, from him the, the, this 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 control thing that he had, and 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 I could tell I could tell you know then and there that it was that 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 was an aspect of his personality, and and it was sort of interesting to 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 go after him for the things that weren't obvious. <laughs> you know, I didn't go after him for the sexual thing. Well, right. that that happened hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But but that was my and then that thing went viral. That was that was. That was everywhere, you know, that I that yeah. I had attacked, and 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 it, what's really funny is that that what what, and and somebody said you were so controversial. So I listened to this, I listened to it online, and I wasn't the least bit controversial. But the, if you just take one little step outside of the conventional framework for what a show should be, right. you're thought of as being controversial. Well, but see, that's something that has happened relatively recently. I think if you watch old episodes of the Dick Cavett show. 
People argued on that show all the time. The guests would say, no, you know, Gore Vidal, you're not right about that. Yes, Norman Mailer, there'd be a fist fight. Oh, and yeah, then and they were drunk. And Mailer yeah. was drunk on the show. And, and but, but now the idea of doing promotion is, you know, we talk for four minutes. We make sure that we mention your movie, An American Dream, in theaters now, yep. over and over again. Yes. And that's, all, that's, that's what it's become. No one actually talks anymore. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, you know, the... the um, uh, the, that I used to, you know, say because I worked in Hollywood for a long time, yeah. and 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 the, the 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 most interesting thing about Hollywood, and it is interesting, is not the movies. Yeah, the movies are all conventional, okay. At best, they're conventional, yeah. and and at worst, they're 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 impossible to watch. Yeah, the uh, interesting is the money. It's all about the money, and the money is completely fascinating because there's so bazil there are bazillions of dollars, you know, and 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 the way it gets thrown around and contracts and deals and 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 agents and what they get and what lawyers get and what everyone gets and how everyone is, you know, digging in and taking the money, and I, I used to say that, that instead of having that very attractive young guy or woman with with their legs crossed sitting up you know beside David Letterman or whoever yeah. the host might have been at the time and 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 talking about the really interesting thing what well, not really interesting thing happened with you and the director <laughs> you know when when a horse went you know yeah. and and they said oh yes and then they tell the horse anecdote right but but really the interesting thing is tell me about your contract yeah like like how much money did you make for that movie, and why did you get that amount of money when this guy over here doesn't get that amount of money? You know, it's just a completely fascinating subject, and it's all about money. And they, and my idea is that they should only talk about money on those shows, well, and it, people will just watch forever. One of my favorite things to do. I used to uh, be in Los Angeles often for work, and we would stay at the Four Seasons in in Beverly Hills on Doheny Drive. Yeah, yeah. And I used to love going down on a Friday or Saturday night. You'd have to get there early because the good seats on the patio would go very quickly. Yeah, yeah. But I liked sitting right next to the uh, to the big sort of circular driveway that they had and watching the people come and go because that's where the show was. That's where the Rolls Royces and the Maseratis yeah, and yeah, the Lamborghinis yeah, yeah. were coming in yeah. with people who would come in and they would, you know, wear $5,000 suits and, you know, yeah, yeah. flash $100 bills at the yeah, valets yeah, and that sort of thing, yeah. all in a show of power. Look what I can do. I am, you know, yeah. I may not have made a movie for two yeah. years, but I'm yeah. still driving a Rolls Royce no, no, and I'm no, no, tipping no. the guy a hundred bucks, no. so I'm still in the game. Oh yeah, no, no, it's, it's fun to all watch. All about that. Oh no, it's fun and it's fun to watch and it's it's completely interesting. But they don't talk about it. No, they don't. They certainly don't. Uh, the movie is called An American Dream. Ken Finkelman is my guest. Um, when you were doing this, we you talked about having a fairly small crew on this because it gave you some mobility. No, no, because no. we couldn't afford a vehicle. <laughs> it's all about the money. It's all about the money. But, but I think you enjoyed working this way, from what I understand. Um, shooting, uh, yeah. Uh, the fewer people you have to talk to, the better it is. Yeah. You know, and 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 and, and especially when you're antisocial like myself. <laughs> and, and 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 I I. I I used to say to people, just just to reduce the number of questions you have to answer all the time. You know, it's like like there was a bit that I I did when I was doing a a show once for the CBC, and it was a, a it was a it was a show about making a movie. Right. And and one of the things I wanted the props guy to do was all the way through this a number of times walk up to me with two phones, a, a, a white telephone. This is in the days of the telephone, yeah, right? yeah. a white telephone and a black telephone, and he'd say white or black, sir, and I go black. And, and 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 it was like 
It was like, and he would walk away saying, "What a brilliant, yeah, a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant answer, you yeah. know, brilliant choice." <laughs> and 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 that's what the director does. You answer questions all yeah. day long that are 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 actually quite trite, yeah. but 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 you're the one that has to answer them. And and the the the, the, the you, you you so there's so many of these questions. I got so tired of it. I would say, if you have a question for me, yeah. come up to me and ask me the question. But if I'm just walking by you and you happen to Catch, catch me in your field of vision. Don't ask me a question <laughs> because because you didn't have to ask that question. If I wasn't walking through your field of vision, you right. wouldn't have asked the question. You know. Right. So it's all about questions. It's all about answering questions. And the smaller the crew, the fewer questions you have to answer. And and also, if you're the writer, director, producer, you know, and you star in it, like I did a lot of shows, uh, you you don't have to argue with anyone. You know, right. you're 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 the boss of so many different divisions that you just kind of do most of it, you know, and, and, and the smaller crew, the better. You were telling me a little story about directing Airplane 2, and <laughs> it wasn't the greatest time in your life, no. you were saying, but just, you said something really funny that well, I, I, I just... I, I, it, it, the pressure uh, on you was, was was so intense, and I realized it was intense over absolutely nothing. The material was so trite. It was so absolutely unimportant. It had no... Uh, it, 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 it Redeeming social value not, whatsoever. Not, not, not in the <laughs> least. Not, you know, I, I mean, in, instead of the whole, I hate to use wheels on meals on wheels yeah. twice in the same uh, seg- interview, but but one meal on wheels could have done so much more for the country <laughs> than airplane too. But 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 it, it was it was fun and yeah. and and, um, and it made the studio lots of money. Yeah, and uh, you're shooting on a big set on Paramount you're on the Paramount on, Mall, which on, is on, legendary. On a, on a, I mean, that's... You, yeah, you're shooting on a big stage, and the cinematographer was a guy named Joe Byrock, and he was had to be about 85, and he smoked a cigar, and he didn't get out of his director's chair. And um, and he had shot movies like It's a Wonderful Life with um, with wow, um, James Stewart with yeah, James Stewart yeah. yeah yeah so 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 you were just like it was Hollywood you know yeah. and and things would just happen you know and and I can remember walking into Don Simpson's office because we used to hang out and and he was president of production at the time and he's on the phone and 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 he's got a he's got a uh, he's got some coke in the ashtray on his desk and 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 and, and, and he's screaming into his phone he's and he signals me in to come in because I'm I'm just a b-level writer but we used to hang out together yeah. you know and there was other things that we had in common <laughs> and and um and and the um um, and and he's and he's screaming, get that goddamn guy's arthritic fingers off of our typewriters. In those days, it was typewriters right. that wasn't coming, and and throw him off the goddamn lot. And he slams the phone down. I said, I said, Don. I said, who are you talking about? He said, Ah, oh, John Houston. <laughs> So, uh, so, so, uh, yeah. So there, there was, there was some drugs there, and and I, I actually remember when we were shooting uh, Airplane Two, and 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 on the stage, and and there, there seemed to be a lot of coke in the air, and and um, the, uh, I, I would say to the crew, guys, bring the coke closer to where we're shooting, okay, where the setup is, so that you don't have to walk five minutes and go and get it, and then you know, and 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 have your blow, and then come back to the set, and then go back to the coke, and then back to the set. Bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. You know, and that was sort of that's an amazing story. <laughs> I love that story. You know, it's funny when you talk to people who were in and around Hollywood around that time, uh, in the in the seventies. Am and, I talking too much about old things? No, not okay. at all. Okay. I love these stories, and okay. you know, everything changed. I interviewed Robert Pattinson, who was uh, you know the the 
vampire heartthrob of Twilight. He got there just at the tail end of the time before cell phones came in everywhere. And he said, you know, you'd go to a, a, so a nightclub. So did I. That's when I got there. Yeah. And you said you'd go to a nightclub and there would be uh, kids that you see on sitcoms snorting coke on tables. But nobody had a camera on them. So it was kind of just kind of like freewheeling. You could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, yeah. Anyone could do whatever they want if you were rich and powerful enough. Yeah. I said, well, what do they do now? And they said, oh, they just do it at home now. They don't do it in public no, anymore. No. Yeah, 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 I guess so. It's a much different thing. Uh, the film is called An American Dream. Uh, is there a message here? Are you, are you hoping that people walk away from this with a message? Or is it just simply a road trip film that you uh, hope they just sit back and take in and enjoy? I guess the last, uh, the, the latter part of it yeah. is, you know, it's, it's funny <clears throat> why one makes something, you know. Um, uh, you uh, and I, I've thought about this. You know, people say, "Well, why? Why did you do this? What? You know, the when you do Q and As after the movie, which I've done a few now on this this thing, uh, yeah. you know, it wasn't. It, it's like you want to work. Yeah. And 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 the impulse to work, and you you say, "Well, what what business do I work in? Well, I don't work in the shoe business, so I'm <laughs> not going to design shoes. Yeah. Okay. I happen to work in this business, so if I'm in this business." Um, I'm going to want to have a script that somebody might say, okay, we'll maybe make that into a movie. And then all of a sudden you're casting and, you know, you're, you know, if, if you get the money, cobble the money together. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's kind of a long process where you kind of are, 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 are you're doing a, a number of things which are the kind of just the, the, it, it's it's like it's like a like, like like an athlete who's a football player for the NFL spends a lot of time in the gym, you know. Right. So 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 uh, you know you're not catching any passes in the gym, you're not scoring any points in the gym, but you're in the gym because it's kind of part of what you do. So you're kind of in the gym. In the gym is your writing. You're in you the know? gym eighty percent of the time. Yeah, probably. you're in the yeah. gym, and, the, and then and then you you know, and then and then and then all of a sudden there's the game, you know, and 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 that means you're shooting, and you've got twenty lousy days to shoot all of this <laughs> in, and you got to get up too early in the morning, and and you get beat up all the time because you're actually getting tackled a lot, and and and. Um, and 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 you're constantly wondering, is this any good? And 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 it's, is it horrible? And and what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And you're you're doing it because you, you you're working. That's it. That's the only thing I know. I, I you know if I knew something else, trust me, I would do it. I, I I'm tired. I'm tired of this business. Do you write every day? No. 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 I lie down with the with the the intention of thinking up something and yeah. fall asleep. <laughs> But I, I find those are, are the ideas. You think, oh, this is great. I'll yeah. write it down when I wake oh, up when from I my nap. Up, and you, no. you never do. No, never. They're gone. Never, never. Uh, how long then? Like, so then when do you write? Well, it, 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 when have I written? Yeah, because I mean, well, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not writing anything right now. But, but, but uh, generally, I remember reading one of the best books on. If you want to read a, a, a an autobiographical book about the movies, yeah. and a lot of people have written about their experiences in the movies. There's a book called Fellini on Fellini. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah, yeah it's a fantastic yeah. book. And and 
And I remember what he said in the book is that he never really started working until they signed the contract. Right. For the, they gave him the budget for the movie. That's right. You know, because he, he said that other than that, he could just think of the most wild things like the cost, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars because it was just in your head. Right. But not until you saw, well, I can only spend this amount of money. Then you start thinking in a, in a, in a structured way, uh, you know, within the budget and, and, and you're really working. Right. And, and, uh, and I guess for a, a picture like this, then you had the money in place, and then you it was know. it was it was hard to get the money. Yeah. It was like I think that the budget for this was like a million two. Right. And and I was walking down the street, and this is like a feature movie, you know. Yeah. And I was walking down my street about I think it was in the fall, and and on my street in the annex. They, a, a guy on a crew holds up his hand for me to stop, and I'm, you know, I'll stop because you know I'm not yeah. one of those guys. Hey, you can't <laughs> shoot on my street, you know, <laughs> you know. And and I and I stopped, and 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 I saw one guy comes up to me, and he's talking to me because he remembered me from because the crews are interchangeable and stuff. Right. And they're shooting a, a scene for this thing with uh, Kiefer Sutherland when he is the president of the United States, designated survivor. Yeah. So they're shooting a scene. Okay. And and um, and the the. Uh, so I talking to this guy that I knew about it, and he, he said he said the budget they, they're making something like twenty two of these twenty four yeah. of them or something like that, eight million U S an hour. Eight million U S a show that is uh, that's a lot of money. That's uh... okay. Now I don't know whether that's correct or not. That's yeah. what the guy said to me. Eight million. I'm thinking. A million one, and I'm doing, and that and that hour is not an hour. That's forty seven yeah. minutes or something, yeah. you know. And I'm doing. Uh, you know, an hour and a half, and it's and it's and it's and it's a million one Canadian. You yeah. know, so it's one eighth what you're. But I, I I sometimes think though that the the limitations can lead to really interesting things. Terry Gilliam told me one time that when they were shooting the Holy Grail, that he had originally planned to have King Arthur and his men come up over a hill on horseback, and they would yeah. see this castle, and it would be amazing. So they couldn't afford it, they so they did the thing. They couldn't afford the horses. So they they, they the, only had a million bucks. The horses were going to cost $25,000, so they put the coconuts. Thing. And yeah. he said, if I had had all the money in the world, I'd be a crappy filmmaker, because I, the scene everybody remembers is the you know the the yeah. King Arthur and his men on yeah. On uh, broomsticks yeah. and the coconuts, and and I, I remember doing when I first started out in this business, doing a radio show, and uh, on the CBC, and I, I would write sketches, and myself and Rick Moranis would would yeah. would would perform them, and 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 and, and we would write together, yeah. and and um, and and uh, I, I can remember that 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 if you wanted to have two guys climbing Everest in a movie, you'd have to have. A, the real snow, a mountain right, of yeah. some kind, and you'd have to have equipment. You have to yep. drag it all up there. You'd have to have the scenery right and everything you'd else. You'd have to see the breath coming and, out of and their mouths. Mouths yeah. and everything. And on, on, on radio, climbing Everest is this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> the in is a little more expensive than yeah. out, but not a hell of a lot more. That's right. That's you know. right. Uh, the movie is called An American Dream. It's in theaters. Right? I, I love the way that you, you you promo this movie maybe 25 times during this interview. Well, uh, you know, you want people to see yeah, but, it. But I, I just want to tell the audience that, that, that there's a there's a button here on the table, and it says <laughs> promo movie, and I just push that and, and every so often. And it sends and then, an electric and then, shock. And, and he just says it. 
<laughs> so I I just happened to have pushed it there. Press it again. Oh, there. an American dream. There you <laughs> there. go. Yeah. Uh, it's in theaters right now. Ken Finkelman uh, has been my guest. Um, you know, we've just got uh, about a minute left. Yeah. And, and in one minute, tell me about as much as you can about writing Who's That Girl for Madonna? Oh. Did you work with her? Oh, directly? Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I have lots of funny stories about that. All right, well. Uh, I ran into Peter Goober, who I happened to have known at the time, and he had a, he and his partner, uh, John Peters, uh, had had done uh, Batman yeah. at Warner Brothers. And, 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 and I had worked on a project with, with, with them or uh, something else that didn't get made, but it was right. a script that I had written, and we were working on it. And I was at, at um, what do you call it? I was at... Um, at, at Warner Brothers in, in the hallway near his office one day, and 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 he and he says, Finkelman, come here, come here, come here. He said, here, read this and take it home, read this. I wanna, you know, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. I said, I said, uh, what, what? He's just it's not gonna kill you. Go, yeah. go, go. So I went and I read it, and and then I came back and I saw him the next day, and we actually had a meeting almost in the same place in the hallway. Right. You know? And. and um, and he said, "Well, what'd you think?" And I said, "I said, oh, yeah." And and, and he, he said, "He said it's 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 a it's 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 a two week rewrite." I said, "It's not two week rewrite, Peter. It's like 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 it's like a huge rewrite." Yeah. It's like I said, "I said, and it's harder to rewrite writing around something than it is to throw the whole thing out and write." No, no, no. It, 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 okay, it's it's it. I'll pay you twenty. Okay, this is where the money came in. I think it was. See, I want to get these numbers right. I think he said twenty-five thousand a week for two weeks, and then I said, "No, no, no." And we just kept standing there, and the money just kept going up and up and up and up <laughs> and up. And and I think I think it ended at about for a rewrite, and, th and this was back then. This was yeah. this was in the eighties, you know. So this was a lot in the eighties because it was like he was promising me I wouldn't have to work for more than three weeks or something, and it was like. I think it got up to like two hundred thousand or something. So I said, "Well, they they put a they 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 hold a gun to your head and then they hold money to your head yeah. and then and then you you do it." So 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 I, I I did a rewrite of somebody else and then somebody else did a rewrite of me and 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 um and and I got screen credit and I got screen credit because I created one of the main characters and this when it goes to arbitration after a number of writers they determine whether you're going to share screen credit. So now I'm sharing screen credit with somebody else. And screen credit, you get, uh, the, the deal is you get 1.4% of the gross after theatrical. So I'm getting half of 1.4% of the gross after theatrical for writing it, okay? Right. So I'm getting 0.7 of 1% yeah. uh, as, as a residual, which yeah. is nothing. The movie is in and out of the theaters in a week. Really, yeah. it's in and out in a week. And, and, and it's like the world's biggest mom. And I saw some of the scenes that the director was shooting in the editing suite when I was walking by the editing suite at Warner Brothers because it's beautiful. It's sort of indoor, outdoor. And I got, oh, my God, this is horrible. <laughs> and, 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 um, and, and then my first residual check. Now, I, 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 I told these stories, and I, I, maybe I've exaggerated them. <laughs> I don't think so. My first residual check on a movie, a total bomb, yeah. but it had a big album. Thing, right was uh, was fifty seven thousand dollars as as a residual that, and that's that's point the point seven, seven of one percent and the movie was a bomb so I, where is it coming from where is the money coming from yeah. where is it going and I still get residuals and this is 
Um, 35 years later, I still get residuals for that. And I get residuals for Airplane 2 as well, but I get a lot more residuals for Airplane 2 than I do for that. And who's that girl? And then, and then Grease 2. And, and I did Grease 2 because I was like, that was it. I was working on a lot. And in those days, I was a real hack. I mean, and that, that was a, that's what a hack writer was. You just do what they tell you to yeah. do. And, 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 and I did two sequels. And, and in those days, sequels were kind of the idiot cousin. Yeah. Now they're like, it's a franchise. If you can get, not only you get one, you get two, three, four, you know, I mean, five, you know, hopefully you're, you're into your, you know, Rocky, you know, 450,000, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and well, so. Michael Bay just announced uh, earlier this week that they've already got 14 more Transformer scripts ready to go. Well, there you go. go. There you go. Yeah, same thing. That, yeah. that, that's, you know, that's, that's fantastic. And that is how the business works. And that's why. Uh, if you if you want to be in the movie business, you got to go to Hollywood and you got to live there, and you have to be in people's face. You have to be there in the room, and they have to see who you are and know who you are. They will not come running after you if you live in Canada. Go there. That's Ken Finkelman talking about his new film. It's called An American Dream, and you know we talked about this in the interview, but it was written in the lead up to the Trump era. And now that we're fully immersed in it, here's a movie that wasn't made as a direct response to that and yet feels like it. It feels like the movie you wanna see in the post-truth era. It's called An American Dream and it's in theaters right now. Ken Finkelman, he's got a million stories. We didn't have a million minutes to sit there and listen to them all though. He's welcome back to the House of Krauss anytime at all to share more of those tales of Hollywood and all that stuff. I bet you Airplane 2, the sequel alone, could spawn a whole podcast just by itself. Maybe one day we'll do that. John Lydon, thanks so much for coming by. Most of all, though, thanks to you for coming by every single week. We put up a new show every Monday. So come on up, knock on the door. If someone answers, feel free to come in, pull up a beanbag chair to the bar, pour yourself a Negroni, and sit and listen to the stories. Right now, though, it's time to shut it down. Time for Daddy's Nap. We're going to shut down the House of Krauss for this weekend. Please come by next week. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit. It just might be one of your favorite people. 